This is the River Radius, a cultural nexus of rivers, people, and boats. I am your host, Sam Carter. Welcome. Why don't we just teach tribal youth how to kayak? And if anybody is going to be doing the first descent of the freed Klamath, why not the the youth that are inheriting the responsibility to caretake for our river and the they're inheriting the the responsibility to deal with the climate crises but we're also inheriting that responsibility of leadership so why not have a program that gets tribal youth centered in that first descent and why not listen to tribal youth and see if they can teach us something about land and water usage And so that led towards Paddle Tribal Waters. This episode comes to you from the Klamath River Basin in Northern California. The Klamath River is being cleared out of its four major dams. Maybe you have heard this. The first dam is gone and the remaining three dams will be cleared out by the end of 2024. This dam removal is a big deal. It's the largest dam removal project in the modern dam era. When these dams are gone, Work will begin to restore the riparian and upland plant and tree profile of the Klamath Basin. There is intention and desire that the salmon will return. Another component that will return after these dams are removed is the human relationship with the Klamath. Specifically waiting for the return of this river are various indigenous people of the Klamath River Basin whose lineage has been with the Klamath River for thousands of years. People who are learning how to re-inherit a river that has been blocked for 100 years. People learning to paddle, learning about fish restoration, people learning about policy and bureaucracies. This episode is the first of two episodes sharing the story of some of these people who are getting ready to meet the Klamath River. In the summer of 2023, I traveled to the Klamath River in California to spend several days with members of Paddle Tribal Waters. This is a program inside of Riosta Rivers, a river protection organization. Paddle Travel Waters is born from the experiences and passions of a sibling pair, Aisha Gray Wolf Wilson and her brother, Paul Robert Wolf Wilson. Aisha and Paul are learning, and they are teaching, and they have many peers learning and teaching with them. They are teaching teenagers from several indigenous tribal nations of the Klamath River Basin and surrounding tribal nations how to run rivers and how to know rivers in the modern context. In this first episode, I talk with Paul and Aisha to hear their story of how they met Rios to Rivers and how they created Paddle Travel Waters. And I also talk with Weston Boyles, the founder of Rios to Rivers. In the second episode, it's all about the young paddlers, the teens who are learning to understand rivers, learning to inherit the Klamath. We start with Paul. The paddle instruction with Paddle Travel Waters the week I was with them took place on the Trinity River, the sister stream of the Klamath. The Trinity is free-flowing and clean, whereas the Klamath is dammed and sometimes toxic from algae blooms. After a day of being on the water with Paul and these young paddlers, we all return to the campground near the Hoopa community along the Trinity River. We have dinner, and Paul and I sit down in the sunset to begin the conversation about Paddle Tribal Waters. Would you start off and tell me about yourself, your name, where you come from, how you spend your life, those kinds of things? Mm-hmm. Wakli Saad, Gawasas is Hiswak Skena, no Madakni Choyuk Sikni. My name is Paul Robert Wolf Wilson. I'm a Klamath and Modoc tribal member. I'm chief storyteller for Rios Rivers. I was born at the headwaters of the Klamath River and have spent a good chunk of my life there. And just recently, in the last five or six years, 
I've really spent working on telling the stories of indigenous peoples, indigenous communities uh, like my own and the lands and waters uh, that we kind of exist within. A good chunk of that has really been based on the, the relationships that indigenous peoples hold with our lands and waters. And I've gotten to do that through paddle sports for the last five years. Tell me again the, the tribal nations that you, you are from. Uh, the Klamath and Modoc uh, nations. And so those are in southern Oregon, northern California. And those are two different nations. Two different nations. Um, federally, uh, it's, it's real weird. Um, so there's the Klamath tribes, and that's what we're recognized by the federal government. But the Klamath tribes is three different tribes. It's the Klamath, Modoc, and Yahuskin peoples. And so those are three different tribal groups that got clustered together. It's kind of like a confederacy mm-hmm. as a result of war and colonization. Am I right to think that Modoc, the Modoc people, the Klamath people, are river people? We are a little bit more towards lake people. Um, so when I did my introduction, the name that we call ourselves as the, the Klamath peoples is Uksikni. And Eus means lake, referring specifically to the upper Klamath Lake. Uksikni means uh, people of the big lake, or people of the lake. While we exist on, and we've used the, the rivers in the upper Klamath Basin and the Klamath River itself as our highways, historically we're, we're a little more culturally based around our, our large lakes and marshes. The Klamath River headwaters flow from the Cascade Mountains of southern Oregon. The waters move into Upper Klamath Lake. Upper Klamath Lake is a natural lake, a lake that is about 20 miles long and about 8 miles wide and shallow. Originally, before any water management infrastructure, the levels of this lake changed based on natural conditions. In addition to this lake, there are other marshes adjacent to the Upper Klamath Lake and smaller lakes in the area. The water in the Upper Klamath Lake flows into the Klamath River. The Klamath runs about 250 miles from Oregon all the way to the Pacific Ocean where its mouth sits at Rekwai, a Yurok community in the Delta region along the coast. The river at Rekwai is wide, Rolling green cliffs, big sandbars, seals, otters, osprey, eagles, herons, all part of the salmon culture. Then tell me about your, your river relationship and, and when that began, what that's looked like throughout your life, and then how that's, it, it seems from what you're saying that it's changed in the past five years. Tell me about that. Yeah, so as, as a kid, my family had moved away from off of the reservation out of our ancestral homelands to Eugene, Oregon, which is just like three hours away. And so on weekends, on holidays, summers, winters, we'd go back home. And my dad, he's an avid hunter and cultural practitioner and, and fisherman. And so he would take us out to our camps and these camps are high in one of the tributary uh, rivers uh, to the Upper Klamath Lake River system, uh, which feeds the Klamath R- River. And these are just really high mountain rivers with nice meadows. And, and we'd camp out there for as long as my dad could logistically figure out for us. As a, as a really young child, there's, there's photos of me out in canoes with my father um, picking... Um, some of our ancestral foods uh, like wokus and and um, tule 
And so these were things that I considered super normal. I'd like just going out with my dad and picking these water-based foods out on the marshes and, and near the lakes. And sometimes he would tow me behind the boat, let me like swim around. I remember distinctly like, cause it's like marshland. So it's, it's kind of like super nutrient dense and, and uh, like water snakes would swim by and it was kind of creepy and cool. And then the distinct memory of these like tributaries higher up in the mountains that are super cold and, and watching my dad jump in to the rivers at like six or seven in the morning and, and we get to go swim almost all day. And so that was, that was the relationship as a, as a kid was the, the rivers kind of feed us. They have the fish. We have rainbow trout that are perfect, like pan size, taste amazing. And then, you know, our, our traditional first foods from the marshes, and then, like, it was a place to, to play, um, to pray, um, to go there when, you know, times are tough, when you lose a family member, um, sibling or something. Like, when, when stuff is tough, go out and, and the land, the water will take care of you. And so that, that was, like, our, our background with the rivers as, as a kid. That's my background, how I came up with the rivers. And it wasn't really white water until... My little sister accidentally ended up on a Rios Rivers program, 2017. Asia, Asia, Asia. here. Yeah, Asia Wilson. Um, she accidentally ended up, we're still not sure who reached out to her. She wasn't technically eligible for the program. She was under the age limit. But when she heard about it, she was super determined to get on the program, which was on the Klamath River. That was the first program on the Klamath. It was essentially two and a half weeks of a cultural exchange uh, somewhat of a source to see. They started middle of the watershed, but traveled down river, down to Requad, to the mouth of the river. My my mom let my little sister apply for the program. She didn't want to be the bad parent and tell her, no, I'd, I'm not going to allow you to apply. Because I think it was a little bit of an extreme of like, oh, let this... Um, 12, 13-year-old girl go for two and a half weeks out in this backcountry type setting uh, with these people that we don't know about and we don't have institutional, organizational knowledge of them. Uh, we had no idea who we were sending my little sister off with, but my mom was off at some conference, and so my older sisters and I were you know, taking care of my little sister. And the staff at Rio's Rivers approved my little sister to be a part of the program. And within the next, like, two or three days, she had packed her bags and we dropped her off to some some nice folks in a white van in the <laughs> parking lot in Medford. Um, and we didn't see her for two and a half weeks. And when she came back, when we, my whole family, we we drove down the Klamath, which up until that date, we hadn't spent a lot of time below the upper, the Lake Iwana, which feeds the Klamath River. We kind of stayed in the upper part of the basin. And so us traveling down to the mouth of the river was a really long drive. It was like five or six hours. And so when we went down, I remember really distinctly my whole family, my mom, dad, we brought some of the some of the babies with us, some of my younger nephews and nieces, and we watched these redwood canoes kind of come around the corner. We're sitting at Rekoy, the Yurok village at the mouth of the Klamath River. At the mouth with the Pacific. Yeah. yeah. And so we can see the Pacific to the right of us. We're on the north side of the river, 
coming from the left side, coming through the, the Redwood Glen there, you could see them as they started to approach this group of, of boats. And you started to see the couple of traditional Redwood canoes that were hand-carved um, leading the the group of rafts and uh, IKs and kayaks. And your sis- this is the group your sister's in? Yeah. And these Redwood canoes, these are Redwood trees. Yeah, so these are single a single redwood tree. Um, there's a really rich traditions throughout the Klamath Basin of like dugout canoes. And down there, the way that a canoe builder chooses a tree that it has to have certain distinct parts that end up being, you know, the whole, uh, the seat. It's a single piece. It's not like a, a seat is added into it. It's carved out of one piece of a redwood tree. And so when we've seen those this group coming around the Yurok tribe, some of their cultural practitioners, some of their young women were singing this welcoming song. They were in their traditional regalia. It was a big community turnout. This was the first time Rios Rivers had done any programming in the Klamath. And generally, one of the first times I think we had seen throughout the basin, we had seen this nexus of like recreation and uh, at that point, it wasn't like tribally focused. It was just like river-based people were who Rios Rivers was working with, which was a good, I'd say half of the youth in that program were um, tribal folks from throughout the basin. And so seeing my little sister come in and hearing the Yurok young women singing these welcoming songs and being at the mouth of the river, it was quite a moment for us. It was amazing to welcome her back in and, and hear she had an amazing experience on it. That was this really funny beginning to our relationship with Rios for Rivers. How old were you when that happened? 2017. I was 20. I was 20 years old. And, and, so, and Aisha was 13. Yeah. The sister part of that program, Rios for Rivers at that time, we were doing a lot of these cultural exchanges using Source to Sea expeditions. And so that program that my little sister was on for the first time in 2017 brought Chileans from Patagonia. They were fighting dams in Patagonia, and they didn't really know the the breadth of that experiential knowledge of what they were fighting. They hadn't seen the scale of dams and the history, the historical context of dams within their region. And so at that point, Weston and Rios Rivers, Weston Boyles, he's the director of Rios Rivers, um, and my good friend, he had brought youth from Chile, from the Rio Baker, and they were facing dams at that point. I think it was two or three mega dams, huge, huge dams, up to the Klamath uh, to see what a hundred years of dams looks like for a river. And so they're coming from a river that they can drink from um, directly. Uh, the Rio Baker, you can see as you're paddling down the Rio Baker, you can see these glaciers and these slot canyons and waterfalls. And so for those kids to come from Chile, not knowing what dams are, but they're they're somewhat invested in fighting for their rivers and to come and see our river on the Klamath. And we get annual notices on the Klamath because the stagnant water behind dams in the reservoirs causes toxic algae. And so we get notices, public health notices, to stay out of our rivers. For those kids to come and see what 100 years of dealing with those things, as I've heard from those youth, it's, it's really transformative for them. It really solidifies why they're fighting for what they're fighting for. And so the sister program of that was to take youth from the Klamath River, get to take them to the free-flowing Rio Bacher, Rio Baker, 
in southern Chilean Patagonia. We were helping to fundraise for my little sister to be able to attend, and pretty late towards the the program date, one of the other students dropped out. And so at that time, my little sister was 13 years old, and my family were getting ready to send her down to the end of the earth, down at Chilean Patagonia, on her first international flight. And she was going alone <laughs> for this crazy-sounding river expedition, and my family found out that there was a space open on this program. And so we rapidly applied for my passport because it was also my first time trying to go out of the country. And so a couple of weeks later, I was in Chilean Patagonia with my little sister on my first river trip. You've never paddled and your first river trip was the Baker. Yeah. Yeah. So my, my introduction to whitewater, to this sport, <laughs> to expeditions was was um the rio baker the first time seeing any white water because you know where i come from i'm high up in the river basin and we're lake and marsh people we have some little rapids on some creeks but nothing remotely similar to the rio baker just describe the baker for a second it's like the columbia it's like the biggest river that i know but you take that and you squeeze it into these slot canyons, into these tiny, I mean, they're not small. It's like a hundred yards across at least, but it's this insanely huge river. And again, to see those glaciers, I remember the first day that we put on and I started to count the glacial waterfalls because in my life, I've only ever seen glaciers on Mount Shasta. And that's like, this amazing peak on our horizon my my tribal territory we say peak to peak if you stand in the marsh uh, on a clear day you can point to the cascades on the west side and all the way around we have peaks but Patagonia was like taking all those peaks that I see out on the horizons squeezing them together and they're just up close and and you're watching slot canyons bringing waterfalls down into the river directly into the river and i remember asking if i could drink the water and they go oh yeah the water is really amazing here and that moment of coming from my river that gets sick every year to being able to put my water bottle i put my hand in there and and started drinking the water it it really changed my world because i was like i didn't i didn't know that that existed to have that relationship with with water with with a river and then whitewater-wise, a little daunting to go from yeah. zero knowledge to one of the biggest rivers in the world yeah. is amazing. To spend two and a half weeks there paddling from, from Cochrane to Tortel, it was absolutely insane. Today's sponsor is NRS. When I started the River Radius podcast, I knew I wanted to involve sponsors who contribute positively to our river community. NRS is one of the great river brands filling this role. Specifically, the NRS LEAD program, which stands for Leaders in Environment, Access, and Diversity. With LEAD, NRS is sponsoring not just athletes, but people who are making a difference in the outdoors. People like Jessica and Sammy Matsaw, who are reconnecting indigenous people with their ancestral homelands and traditions through river running. Learn more about the LEAD program at nrs.com slash L-E-A-D and by using the link in our show notes.
This episode has important sponsorship from our friends at Mighty Arrow Family Foundation. Further sponsorship comes from the Virga Foundation, a small family foundation in the Four Corners region of the Southwest United States. And this episode is also sponsored by American Whitewater. American Whitewater represents the interest of the whitewater boating community and all who enjoy wild rivers. American Whitewater has been deeply focused on developing a vision for how the public can experience a restored Klamath River. This includes restoring the natural bed to its pre-dam condition by engaging in the removal of hazards that would otherwise affect river users. They are also committed to working to educate river runners on the cultural significance of this river corridor and what it means to be a visitor in this space. On the last day that I was with the Paddle Tribal Waters crew, I talked with Asia next to the Klamath River at dusk. We had just toured the dams that day, seeing the one that had been removed and seeing two more that will be coming out soon. We walked through the campground and sat at a picnic table to talk. Would you tell me about yourself? Tell me your name. Yeah, just introduce yourself to me. All those kinds of things. My name is Aisha Grable-Fulson. I am 20 years old. I'm Klamath and Modoc. I am from Chilliquin, Oregon. I am finishing up my Bachelor's of Science at the University of Oregon currently. I have a two-year-old son, Kanoa, and I also work for a few different nonprofit organizations, and all my work centers water, being on the water, youth and water, water policy, and just, yeah, sharing spaces to address issues specific to my community. What's your undergrad focused on? I have a major in environmental studies with a concentration in planning public policy management and legal classes. You're not messing around. Okay. Tell me about meeting Rios to Rivers, like your first Rios to Rivers experience. I started with Rios Rivers in 2017, July 2017, on the Klamath. We did like a two and a half week long trip basin tour, and we started up in Critter Lake and made it all the way to the mouth of the Klamath River. It was my first time ever rafting and traveling in that way. From there, I went on to participate in their Patagonia uh, trip that following winter, February 2018, and I went to the Baker River in Patagonia for two and a half weeks as well. So you went to the Baker. What what happened like down there? Was it just boating? Was there other things that was going on? When I went down to Patagonia for the first time, we stopped in Santiago and we drove a few hours out to the Maipo and we uh, chatted about the hydropower threats and projects going on on the Maipo. From there, we traveled down to the Baker River, um, down to Cochrane, Coaike, and we ended our trip in Tortel. And so we started out um, meeting a lot of locals and just kind of learning about the threats that they had, had been facing. And we got to learn from each other because I had never been on a river that was undammed and that was so clean that I could drink from it. And so when I traveled on the Baker in 2018, it was the first time I had ever been in a river where it was just traveling with a cup and we would lean down and drink right out of it. Really? Yeah, and so it was a very prestigious river and it was, was insane because they brought us there to learn 
what <laughs> undammed river was because they are under threat of hydropower projects being put into that river and so we first started in the klamath in 2017 that summer and a group of chileans from the baker river came up and they saw all the damages that the dams have caused to the klamath basin they traveled to each tribe we had meals with community members and we learned about the impacts that the water the land the the fish the animals and the people have all went through and so they knew that the dams were bad but they were able to step into a time machine and push a hundred years fast forward and see the real implications it's still causing today and then that following winter we were able to travel down there and do the same exact thing but push push the time machine to go back a hundred years and see what a lifestyle being fully dependent on the river is supposed to be like in a contemporary context you know and in 2018 as much as we could and so it was very it was a it was a tougher trip it was probably the toughest trip I went on with Rios but regardless of the, the conditions and like in the moment toughness um it was definitely an experience that really shaped my perception of what we call life and our our connection to the water and our relationship to places after that trip i continued to work with rios rivers as an intern um i participated in the next klamath 2019 trip a full another tour spending about two and a half weeks on the river rios to rivers this could also be said as rivers to rivers Rios to Rivers is a nonprofit organization working towards healthy rivers. You are hearing Asia and Paul both talk about Rios to Rivers, their youthful first encounters with this organization, and now their work today with Rios. Weston Boyles started Rios to Rivers in 2012. I got on the phone with Weston to learn more about his story. My name is Weston Boyles. I'm the founder and director of Rios to Rivers. And Weston... Would you tell me what Rios to Rivers is and maybe in there explain the origin of Rios to Rivers? At Rios to Rivers, we work to inspire the next generation of river stewards. Rios to Rivers came about when a group of friends of mine and I were down paddling on the Baker River, which is Chile's most voluminous river down in central Patagonia. There was a proposal to dam the Baker and Pasco Rivers with five dams. And my friends and I went down there. We were excited to to see this beautiful river and, and heartbroken to hear that they were going to dam it. And we ran the river with a goal to meet different people along the Baker River. And in that process, we showed up at a birthday party for a, a grandmother gaucho on the banks of the river. And her one of the grandsons of the, uh, of the grandmother gaucho was like, oh, yeah, I'm running this section of river with my my youth kayak club next week here we were thinking like we're in the middle of nowhere this is like very few people have run this and we've come to find out there's this like youth local kayak club running this really cool stretch of river that goes from the andes out to the pacific ocean we went back to the, the small little community found the directors of this amazing kayak club and asked if we could join them just to learn more about about their their trip and and if we could make a film about um, this source to see the scent that they made down the river. It's kind of a rite of passage trip for these young kids. And in that process of joining the kids, we realized, oh my God, these are some of the best spokespersons for the river. 
But when I would ask them, well, what do you think about the proposed dams? Someone kind of paused and go, well, I don't really know. I've never seen a dam before in mm-hmm. my life. And that was this kind of full stop. Wait a minute. How, you know, there's communities throughout the world where projects are being proposed and communities have no idea what's, what's you know, really being proposed, you know, the scale, the magnitude of what is taking place here. And that was the, the genesis of, or the idea of, wait a minute, what if we set up an exchange program where we could connect youth from river basins that have not been impacted with youth from river basins that have been impacted? So in 2013, we brought the first group of youth from the Baker River Basin up to run the Grand Canyon in kayaks. And it was this really incredible trip. And the reason we chose the Grand Canyon is in the 60s, it was successfully protected. Sadly, just upstream, Glen Canyon was not successfully protected. So there was this chance for the youth to see Glen Canyon, see the impacts and talk about those impacts, but also learn about this inspiring, successful story of protecting the Grand Canyon. And that also allowed us to say, wait a minute, the Baker and the Pasco Rivers are of equal grandeur beauty as the Grand Canyon. They, they truly are. They're these incredibly beautiful rivers. Why are we why are we choosing to dam these rivers when places like the Grand Canyon have been successfully protected? So anyway, long long story, but we continued on connecting youth and, and developing this what we call a, a time machine. It, it's allowing youth to jump in a time machine, go into the future, and see the true impacts of dams, dispel the myths that dam building companies bring to these communities around the world. And we're seeing this a lot in South America. It's the same story told over and over again, where a dam building company comes into a community, they promise work and great prosperity, and they also work to divide the community. And our realization was, if we can dispel those myths um, by having youth and young adults come and experience and and actually with their you know their own eyes see and, and talk with their their peers about the impacts of these dams and how dams have impacted their communities, we can dispel those myths. And through the process of exchange, we can work on community building, help different communities come together over a positive cause, which is to bring kids together on rivers and get them seeing their their backyards. So that's been um, the the mission of Rios Rivers. And then in 2014, I met a water quality scientist who works in the Klamath River Basin and learned more about what was going to take place in the Klamath. And we realized that the Klamath is such an incredible story. Here they're going to remove four dams. It'll be the largest dam removal in the history of the world. And it would be amazing to bring youth from different potentially impacted river basins to the Klamath to you know, learn why are they removing these dams much sooner they're inspected. These dams in the Klamath still work. The reason why they're being removed is because of the environmental impacts and social impacts that they're causing. And that's an important part of this. Dams in the Klamath, dams in other rivers, the reason they're being removed is because of the, the impacts. And so making sure that that messaging makes it back to river basins that still have a chance to not repeat the same history is, has been important. I want to jump away from the details of our, uh, of RTR and all this stuff. And I want to ask this question about, this is probably a bit of like the roots of Riosta rivers, but it's really about the roots of you as Weston Boyles. You 
you were friends with Doug Tompkins. Doug Tompkins is the man who had, he was part of the Esprit Clothing Company and the North Face Clothing Company, and he used that money then when he sold those to go to Patagonia, to Chile, and purchase properties, huge pieces of land, turn those into parks. The story's long. You know it way better than I do, but through time, he's turning them over to the, the national government, the federal government, and he, he also then passes away in a kayak kayak accident, and his wife, Christine Tompkins, carries on, and this has become a, a, a very important story, I believe, in supporting and guiding people on how they do things um, in terms of conservation mm-hmm. and how we change the, the thinking and the paradigm and the scale at which conservation happens. That's, that's my quick summary of Tompkins. I'm mm-hmm. curious from your perspective how Doug Tompkins influenced your life. I, I've, seen, I've seen a photo of you as a young kid hanging out with Tompkins. You've said that he was a, an uncle figure in your life, and it just it so happens that you just got to know him as a youngster. And I'm curious how he has him and his, his visions and his actions have influenced who you are and what you're doing today. Mm-hmm. Doug was somebody who would show up at my parents' house and somebody around the dinner table who would have these intense discussions, debates around how how do we need to solve the eco-social crisis. And his way of thinking, he consistently was so ahead of his time in the way of thinking about numerous things. And I think that's why he was so successful in his life is he was such an amazing reader, such an amazing thinker, and somebody who really enjoyed speaking and, and debating many, many topics, wide range of topics. And I just had the good fortune to be surrounded by that and grow up around that. And I think he really impacted my life in many ways. He, he had subtle ways of getting people excited about what he was doing. One notable was when I was in freshman year of college, he visited and you need to drop out of college and come down and work for me. He, he was actually kicked out of high school. He didn't believe in formal education and saw through apprenticeship, through mentorship, that that being the best way of truly learning things um, and, and doing things just like being thrown into the fire. He would He would take people who had no experience in what he was charging them to do. And okay, you're now the director of this park. <laughs> and he was great at that, of, of just putting people into big responsibilities and, and pushing them to, to fly. The long story short there is that through working for him and, and being inspired by him, also <laughs> being uh, stressed by his, his intensity and drive to get things done, that really inspired me to, to do something and that's really where I had the, the mindset and drive to create Rios to Rivers. My personal perception of Rios to Rivers is defined by my experience working in river conservation and from meeting and interviewing many river conservation groups with the river radius. The experiential atmosphere of Rios to Rivers through its time machine concept, in my opinion, sets it apart from all other styles of conservation programs. I talked with Asia about this. I guess the the thing that is so striking to me is Rios to Rivers. There's a lot of river conservation groups doing things, and they do good work. But Rios to Rivers is so unique. The description you gave of like the time machine going back and going forward. I don't really know what my question is, but... It was finally putting some of the the power and some of this organizing, some of this these spaces back in the hands of the people 
that belong to these lands, that belong to these rivers, and that have relationships to these places. And it's giving them the power to share their stories together. It's different because it's not, <laughs> it's not a commercial outfitter. It's not just about kayaking. It's not just about rafting or being outdoors or recreation. It's really about our livelihoods. It's about the people that come from these places. And so we have deep connections. We have deep roots in these places and deep stories. And it's not only in indigenous people, but primarily in our Paddle Trouble Waters program is just tribal people. You know, Weston, our executive director, has been able to grow his nonprofit over the last 12 years. And when he started out, it definitely was not what it is today. <laughs> but now, our director has been able to shift that power and share that power with the people that come from these places. And that's the difference, is this organization truly is grassroots. It truly is just for the people, the next generation of river stewards. You know, that's our logo, is inspiring the next generation of river stewards. This episode is sponsored by NRS a company that provides just about every piece of river gear you might want for your river journeys. My most important piece of river gear is my PFD. I imagine you can understand this. I've been boating for most of my life, and as an adult, I have owned six PFDs for the last 12 years. All of my PFDs have been from NRS. For this critical piece of gear, I trust NRS for their design, stitching, and flotation. I have swam for fun with this PFD, and I've swam with this PFD because I flipped my boat. My NRS PFD did the work and kept me on top of the water, stayed tight, and didn't get in the way when I climbed back in my boat. But most importantly, my NRS PFD is comfortable all day long. Check out their PFDs at www.nrs.com or in the show notes for this episode. This episode has important sponsorship from our friends at Mighty Arrow Foundation, Further sponsorship comes from the Virga Foundation, a small family foundation based in the Four Corners region of the Southwest United States. And this episode is also sponsored by American Whitewater. American Whitewater is a member-based river conservation organization working to protect and restore our nation's whitewater rivers. They represent the interest of the whitewater boating community and all who enjoy wild rivers. American Whitewater has been deeply engaged in the work to undam the Klamath supporting the work of tribes and the indigenous communities along the river who have led the effort to restore the salmon fishery and health of this river. When Paul and Aisha came home from their Rios de River experience on the Baker River in southern Chile, their experience in that time machine influenced how they engaged with their community in the Klamath River. I asked Paul to tell me about this. Okay, so Aisha, Aisha goes on the first trip on the Klamath then she goes on the baker, you go on the baker, and then what? You come home, you've seen the clean water, you drank out of it, you scooped it, you put it in your bottle. What are you and, what are you and Aisha doing after that? I guess I'd have to answer by going back to the first day of the program. The instructors for Rios Rivers, they did a litmus test. They, they put us in hard shell kayaks on the Rio Cochran to see like who had enough balance and just initial skill to be able to paddle and they just asked us to pull a straight line across this really small tributary before letting us paddle in the in the hard shell kayaks on the Rio Baker and my little sister and I you know not terribly afraid of rivers because we've grown up in the waters 
And this river, the Rio Cochran, was really similar in size and flow to like the river that we grew up on, the Williamson River. And we could not pull a straight line across that river to save our lives. And there was a little riffle like just around the river bend. And so we were like holding on to the grass and the reeds (laughs) and just like trying not to get swept down. I think we both knew that we were really bad at it at being able to be in the whitewater shell and to move around. But we also, there was something about like that autonomy because we're canoe people culturally and that's how we grew up. But this felt fun and sporty. And so we knew we liked it. And we also started to understand how expensive it was. And so when we came home from this trip, we started what was then the Chilquin Kayak Club and what is now called the, the Mukluks Paddle Club. Mukluks means the people in our language, and so the People's Paddling Club. Within a short amount of time, a bunch of folks, really amazing, like older boaters, just donated some of their like mm-hmm. beater boats to us, and a lot of them were in amazing shape. We started that, and I dropped out of college, and Rio's kind of changed dramatically the trajectory of my life. Rios to Rivers. Rios to Rivers, yeah. In what that first program that I seen with Rios to Rivers was doing was everything that I wanted my dual major uh, in college to take me towards. What was the majors? Um, I had dual major, uh, 3 p.m. public policy and, and business. What Rios to Rivers was doing was really where I wanted to take a lot of my stuff because that experiential cultural exchange that we were doing was allowing us to learn by us sharing our stories how you know as fishermen as hunters as gatherers um, as scientists as readers scholars to take our stories and go share it with people on a river on the other side of the world weston describes it as a time machine being able to go back before our river was dammed and so for us to be able to talk with people with tribal people especially river-based people that are maybe fighting the development of dams and the destruction of their rivers and get to talk to them before that happens and for them to get to hear from us in the future of development and colonialism and, and extractive industries and get to hear the things that we're facing and how the promises of economic prosperity didn't work for us and we're really dealing with public health crises as a result of dams and diversions. And then also seeing outdoor recreation and how it can be a sustainable means of of creating business in rural communities you know ecotourism geotourism and you start to layer on like that ability of like culture practitioners and and fishers being able to take you out on this river and and you get to hear these really intimate relationships and stories from them i was like rios rivers is doing all those things that i wanted to do nation building and education and being out on our lands and waters it was a really grassrootsy nonprofit at that point but it was doing what I wanted to do at some scale and and that really excited me and so my little sister and I came home I I dropped out of school and I was like this is what I'm going to do and worked with Weston to to continue doing our exchanges at that point okay so then let's let's just let's fast forward you've told the story of Asia going on on a Rios the Rivers trip and you going on a trip with Asia to the baker to Patagonia and that you come home and you quit school and you 
just invest yourself into Rios de Rivers, then the next thing I want to hear is about the birth of the idea for what's happening right here. Dam removal on the Klamath has been eminent since the early 2000s. My people and the other tribal nations on the Klamath River have been fighting the dams since they were put in 100 years ago. Starting in like 2015, the, the conversations around dam removal started to get really real. I had recently become a member of NRS's pilot program, the Lead Ambassadors. And so Tyler Bratt is the manager for that program. And so I was an ambassador and, and we're paddling with Naomi Ellard, another Lead Ambassador. And as we were paddling down the White Salmon, this chill section of the White Salmon, I was in a ducky and I was telling him about this idea of I'm going to bring 24 youth from 24 different river basins to the Klamath in 2024 to to celebrate our dam removal and we're going to do a source to sea expedition and Rush Rush Sturgis being the expedition kayaker and been at the top of the sport for a great amount of time he asked the the natural question of are there any Klamath tribal youth that are going to kayak it I was talking about canoes and rafts you know, outside of myself, I didn't really know of any other like Klamath tribal kayakers, like whitewater kayakers. And myself at that point, I was, I didn't have my role. I had been paddling like class three without a role and it was scary. And so when Rush asked that question, it kind of gave birth to that idea of why don't we just teach tribal youth how to kayak so that we can show up in that means on our river and if anybody is going to be doing the first descent of the freed klamath why not the youth that are inheriting the responsibility to caretake for our river us as youth across any population we're inheriting the the responsibility to deal with the climate crises but we're also inheriting that responsibility of leadership if there's a space for somebody to do the first descent and like first descents to me and first descents are really colonial in nature. We, we take this first person that, that conquered something and, and we write down their names and that's our history. And a lot of times those people aren't really based in that region and they come and they take this story home and they don't, they don't ever come back and care for that place that gave them that experience. So why not, have a program that like gets tribal youth centered in that first descent and why not listen to like tribal youth and see if they can teach us something about land and water usage and so that led towards paddle tribal waters and so paddle tribal waters is the program that we're at right now uh we're preparing tribal youth from the tribes throughout the river basin throughout the klamath river basin to be able to have the technical whitewater skills to be able to paddle within our region and also have the advocacy and scientific and indigenous knowledge systems to be able to speak about the river with a a lot of confidence. It's been amazing. We've had this program around for a year now with tribal youth. We have two different cohorts at this point, and these kids are well on their ways to being able to paddle our freed river in 2025. 
And these kids know each other. You said that they might be distant cousins, but they also, they, they've been together on the river before this time, like last year, right? Yeah, so these kids have had varied attendance to our programs. A lot of these kids, they're multidisciplinary athletes. They're track or basketball or volleyball. And so, and their academic schedules are always crazy too. The pilot program was two and a half weeks long. And it's this really intimate, really a lot of energy goes into it. And then these kids go home and we don't do another program until the fall last year. And it's a three-day program. So it's not a ton of time together. That's almost three weeks. The small pockets of time that these kids spend together really shows with the way that they kind of hold relations with each other. You know, some of them are cousins and siblings, but also a lot of them didn't know each other before this program. These kids are spread out throughout the Klamath River Basin and super remote communities. And so seeing the way how strongly these friendships have been built in these little bits of time, and then they come back together after some of them haven't paddled since last fall uh, to come back and, you know, hop on the river today and be super confident. And I guess they were, I fell asleep pretty quickly last night but apparently they were real loud into the evening <laughs> because they're just you know these are teenage kids that are coming back and hanging out with some of their best friends after you know months um of not seeing them and so it's pretty pretty dang awesome to see and so then is, the plan is that these two cohorts together will become the the one cohort that goes down the Klamath at some point is that is that your vision yeah, and so the vision is, you know, that these students start to become the leaders in, you know, having the literacy to be able to run our rivers and also, like, that leadership outside when it comes to, like, understanding tribal rights and, and dams and dam removal. To get any of these kids up to being able to paddle Class 4 or 5, which the, the Klamath River has some some pretty stout water in the upper Klamath, the Hell's Corner Reach, to get those kids our kids from throughout all of our villages, all of our tribes on the river to be able to paddle confidently. It's going to take a lot of work, but it takes community. I think that's, that's what we're starting to realize is these kids need to be able to paddle consistently and regularly and have other people to paddle with. And that's kind of the underlying vision of some of this is to support the creation of paddle clubs, like the one that my little sister and I created. We just want for like all the other little resi kids, all these river kids to be able to just continue to do, to have safe, safe means to go out and, and recreate in the places that, that provide for us. The what's next question has lots of places that can be asked in this conversation about teaching these tribal teens how to paddle and about the removal of these dams. Here again, I talk with Weston Boyles, founder and director of Riosta Rivers, about what is next. And so then what's the vision? What is the vision? I mean, the, you're, you've talked about these things that are happening right now with the kids, these cohorts. What's the vision after the dams come out for Paddle Tribal Waters and the relationship of these paddlers with the Klamath River? Paul and Asia, after they came to Chile with us in 2018, they met the kayak club that first inspired Rios to Rivers to be created, and they became inspired to found a kayak club in their their community. And so Paddle Tribal Waters has actually been a really incredible way to motivate the creation of these youth-led, indigenous-led paddle clubs 
within the Klamath Basin and other river basins. And so the goal after the youth made the first descent of the Klamath River is to continue supporting the growth of these paddle clubs. And there's actually another paddle club that's been formed in the lower basin of the Klamath. And those clubs will continue on to hopefully allow hundreds of youth to engage with their river. A key component of all of this has been working and developing a strong curriculum of how kayaking is taught. Over the years, it's really developed and the kayak community has learned a lot about how to teach kayaking in a safer and better way. Kayaking takes a while to learn how to to do and to do well and safely and without scaring people in the process. And so that's been a key part of this is really making sure that as these youth are learning to kayak, they're learning the proper habits, protocols, so that then when they grow up a little bit, they can also go on to be instructors and then and teach with those protocols and, and teach good habits around around kayaking. This program of Paddle Tribal Waters is definitely teaching these teens how to paddle and is working towards more paddle clubs. And it goes beyond the boat and running rapids and floating through canyons. It is also inherently about these teens enhancing their river relationship with knowledge and with story and then sharing the story and the knowledge. I asked Paul about this component of Paddle Tribal Waters. When I first started looking at Rios the Rivers and checking out the About page on the website, I saw your your profile as chief storyteller. I've heard you say that a few other times, and then tonight I heard you say it after dinner. We are talking to the kids, and, and you were expressing that that's your role with Rios to Rivers, and then part of their role is this storytelling piece where, as you put it, that they are the young ones that their generation will see the undammed river. Like, they're the transitional kids. Like, they are the generation that will transition the Klamath from a dammed river to an undammed river and that that story needs to be known. What does it mean for you, the way you were raised, you talked about your mom and your dad and the way they took you to the mountains and to the marshes and you had had all these experiences there. In your way and the way you're transferring it to these kids, what does it mean to tell stories? I think for me, when I think about storytelling it's more so about living and and experiencing and and the relations that you're able to go through is like being able to go live a really good life and then share about that storytelling to me came from hearing these these stories about the way our world used to be the way that the rivers used to have salmon that you know were so dense that you could walk across rivers and these deer and elk herds and and hearing those things and and imagining them i know that our river and our forests and our herds there's so much work to be done but one of the most important things about hearing those things is is knowing that my people lived those things these aren't far off things these aren't fairy tales these are these are things that somebody's telling me that they lived through, that they experienced, that that that's how they related to the world. That's what nourished them. That's how they fed their kid. For me to see this group of students, for me to see this moment in time, I'm thinking about my nephew. He's, he's two years old. He's running around. 
it's our responsibility to tell him what the river looked like, what, what a damned river looked like so that he knows that he has to fight for our river. And, and that fight shouldn't just be in a courtroom. It shouldn't just be, you know, showing up to protest. That fight also looks like showing up and, and recreating, showing up and developing these, these relationships where we can have fun and, and we have to experience our world. We need to show up on our lands and on our waters because if we don't, that, that goes away. That, that way of living our, our life ways, uh, there's, there's been attempts to, to eradicate our life ways. And if we don't show up and if we don't live courageously and, and recreate and have fun out here, other communities will, other communities are showing up. And for a lot of time that made me like angry and jealous. Cause I seen people were able to come and, and dance with my, my waters. That's not a reflection of them. Like it's amazing that people can do these things, that the progression of these sports. And so for me, storytelling, seeing the way that these kids have come up and some of these kids know how to swim through undercurrents. Like they've grown up like swimming a lot of these rapids under the water. And, and so like when you know how to like do that and, and grab these these plants on the side that, that are our medicines and our foods and the way that they can fish and the comfort that they have in our home villages. And then when I think about these like expedition experiences and, and the most hardcore, the most gnarly things, these kids belong in those stories. Then I can't wait just seeing them already, the way that they show up, the way that they relate to this world, to our world, to rivers. That to me is what storytelling about is is to live in a good way and share what feels appropriate, what feels good, but to tell other people about that because when other people hear about the the reciprocal relationship that we hold with our lands and waters, you know, this land, this water, it doesn't belong to me. I belong to it. It brought me here. You know, our creation stories place us here finding that balance and and learning from the ways that for thousands of years we've lived with these systems of of stewardship these non-extractive means of of living and finding our balance in in this world we need to tell those stories because those stories don't exist in the way that they should and and we need to hear more about the ways of, of existing in a world so that we can learn so that there is hope for a future but it's also having those spaces to courageously recreate to see these kids have fun because mental health and wellness and and just for the sound of communities like you can't just fight and and just show up in hard ways but you also need to be able to show up in fun ways hearing these kids laugh like the laughter on the rivers and the laughter that we hear you know now it's it's such good medicine and so those are those are all the things that storytelling with me means is is just seeing the good relations, seeing the relations that these kids hold and peoples around me hold and getting to share parts of that, just parts of, of the, the beauty that we got to see today. In hearing this story about how Aisha and Paul came to know Rios de Rivers, I think about the 13-year-old Aisha, so intent on joining that first trip down the Klamath where she was supposed to be 14 years old, the desire and the focus of youth driving to be engaged 
And here, seven years later, that same person is now supporting other teens as they learn how to inherit the undamned Klamath. We close out today with Asia. The next two years are big, right? The, you know, we, we went up to the dam tour today. We saw the first one that's come out and then all the talk about the big ones that are going to come out. Like, how do you feel about, like, how does it all feel to be in the midst of this this thing that won't take very long, but it's going to take a really long time? <laughs> it feels really cool. <laughs> it feels really cool to be part of this um, and to be, you know, learning with our kids, with our instructors, with these companies, with these communities. Um, it feels like a once in a lifetime experience (laughs) and it also feels like you know what's next what are we doing next we're going to teach you know we're going to continue to train tribal youth in the Klamath Basin area but what does that mean like we need to figure out our plan we need to be able to start traveling to other tribal communities that you know are out on their waters out on their lakes on their oceans you know and we need to start sharing spaces because that's where this all started was exchanges between different basins different communities different rivers different continents and in the last few years with this dam removal we've become very localized and you know this is what's going on right here and this is our top priority and that is needed that was you know the correct response and what we need in this very moment but over the next few years that scene is changing now we have this new experience of dam removal and now let's go share about that experience we've been sharing about the implications of dams and now we're going to get to share about the implications of dam removal and the the positives of dam removal and the changes that come with dam removal and just you know the journey of it and so now we're gonna need to be able to provide our youth opportunities to go share those stories and give that hope to the next group of kids and to the next paddlers to the next generation of river stewards so that way they can make informed decisions that way we can you know promote water safety we could promote all these experiences we could you know and we can really start building a network a coalition maybe you know one day of of indigenous peoples in this region occupying our homelands and our traditional waterways that would be my next step (laughs) an undammed river-sized thank you goes out to our guest today Aisha, paul and weston Our second episode about paddle travel waters will publish on December 5th. That episode is all about the teen paddlers. This episode is sponsored by NRS, home of the Lead Ambassador Program. This episode is also sponsored by the Mighty Arrow Foundation, the Virga Foundation, and American Whitewater. You can find links for all of these sponsors in the show notes. Rios de Rivers, home of paddle travel waters, can be found online and on social media. All of their links are in the show notes. There are also links to other articles and information about the dam removal on the Klamath River. River Radius social media is organized by Samantha Sice. Today's music is composed and performed by Gene Reiniger. Be in touch anytime. Hello at theriverradius.com. Thanks so much for joining the River Radius. Yeah, this is perfect. Do you have, do you have a sparkly water yet? Yeah. 
feeding chickens and playing with rocks and looking at the river. Water snakes would swim by and it was kind of creepy and cool. Mm-hmm. Eggs and sausage and I think it was avocado. It feels really cool. <laughs>